I've read somewhere that more than 50% of those who are Episcopalians came from some other tradition or from no tradition at all. And anecdotally, it seems to me about half the people I know who uh, converted into the Episcopal Church came from the Catholic Church, and the other half came from some other Protestant denomination. And as for me, I am what is called a cradle Episcopalian. Uh, I've spent my whole life in this tradition, and as a result, that has sometimes made me curious to explore what else is out there and what other people are doing. And during one of these times, back when I was pastoring a church in California, I knew about a non-denominational megachurch that was in town that was packing the people in. And I had a rare Sunday where I didn't need to be at my own church, but I was still in town. And so my poor family, I dragged them with me, and we were going to go see what was going on at that church down the road. So I'm aware some of you may come from a tradition like that. This may be familiar to you, but to me, I found a lot to notice. So walking in, the, the lobby, of course, was beautiful. Once we went into the room where worship took place, it was very comfortable. The lighting was nice. The seats were plush and comfy. I noticed that there was a whole sound and lighting a booth where people had monitors and big boards and they were controlling and making sure that everything was just perfect. I noticed that in the lobby they actually had a barista. Uh, surprising to us Episcopalians and I started to understand maybe, maybe I'm starting to understand why people were all coming to this church. They had a barista in the lobby and in these comfortable seats on the armrests, they actually had cup holders. <laughs> People had their coffee and they had their phone and they were wearing shorts and sneakers. And I remember that sermon too. The sermon, um, of course, as you would expect, it was multimedia. There were video clips. There were big screens behind the preacher. And I will not forget the theme of that sermon, which I will share with you today. It was these words exactly. He said... Choose Christ, not comfort. <laughs> Compared to the megachurch style of worship, the Episcopal tradition, you could say, is less comfortable. We have prayers and patterns that we repeat. We sit, we stand, even sometimes we kneel. We have an instinct for formality, for ritual, for intention. And sometimes this comes at the expense of spontaneity. And on the positive side, we have the blessing of a very rich and deep tradition. There is a rootedness, a sturdy foundation, and a sense of knowing that we are continuing in a dance that is ancient one that has been going on for generations of Christians who have gathered ever since Christ. And we can give of ourselves to this dance, which we call liturgy. There's a reverence for beauty, because beauty, both music and visual, has the power to elevate our souls nearer to God. This foundation for our worship 
formed over centuries, helps to keep us on track at its best. It helps us when it really works to make us open to the mysteries of the true and living God who is vast and can never be contained. I believe when we are at our best, this deep sense of rootedness will even help us to approach faith with humility, freeing us from ourselves. But we too fall for the temptation of comfort. The liturgy, the prayers, they, these traditions that we have grown accustomed to, they become a comfort of themselves. They can be like a security blanket for some of us. So we need reminders. At a diocesan training that I attended yesterday with members of our vestry, we were reminded by the facilitator of what is the point of church. Church is not here for the sake of church. Rather, church is here to curate the blessings that we have received and to make them available for the people of God. If you think of it, we have received 4,000 years of blessings in the form of teaching, scripture, tradition, and wisdom. And the facilitator didn't mention this, but I would like to add there's another blessing that we've received that is called koinonia. It's a fancy Greek word for that special quality that exists when Christians are gathered. When we are gathered in community and you feel something happening, that is a real thing, Christ's presence among us. And the point of it all is to take these blessings and to curate them, to collect them and order them so that they can be shared and shared well. To make them available to bless the lives of others with the goal of lifting people up so that they may walk more closely with God. And this is true of St. John's and of every church that exists. The church is a strange institution because it exists for the purpose of giving itself away and for the sake of helping more and more people so that they may walk with Jesus. In this gospel passage that we just heard a moment ago, Jesus is telling the people what it means to really be a disciple, what it means to follow. It's a crucial part of the Gospel of Mark, and this passage has a nickname. It's called the cost of discipleship. What does discipleship cost? Not only are we asked to give up comfort and security and all our attachments, we are asked to give our whole selves, our whole hearts, holding nothing back. This is not an easy thing to sell, and even Peter himself rejects the teaching. Shockingly, Jesus calls him Satan, which isn't actually just the first name of the devil, but Satan means the adversary. And Peter in this moment is an adversary because he is so attached. He cannot accept the things of God that Jesus is laying before him. And remember, too, that Peter himself will choose. He himself will die on a Roman cross as well. He will give all, but not yet. He's not yet ready. Well, here is where the faith component comes into it. Jesus does not just ask us to follow him into suffering, to follow him into loss, 
to follow him into death. He also says to follow him into the new life that comes after. We follow him down so that we can then follow him up. It sounds lofty and maybe even impossible, but after all, isn't this the way of love itself? If we really love, if we really allow ourselves to fall into love, as the phrase goes, we have to be willing to give ourselves to it entirely, to humble ourselves, to be willing to not have control, to be open to the pain that it might bring, and to be vulnerable. And only then will we receive its full riches. In other words, in love and in discipleship, only by being willing to lose our lives will we gain our lives. So indeed, we are asked today to choose Christ and not comfort, to let go of our attachments to the earth so that we can gain that which does not pass away. Because in the end, we will never be truly comfortable or at peace or grounded in love without Christ. Amen.